The reason is, it's my dad's birthday. He's uh, not with us in this world, but he's always a Mets fan, so I'm wearing a hat I inherited. And if you're a Mets fan, this is an actual hat from the days of Ed Cranepool. So we're talking Mets vintage here. So this is for the old man, for my dad, on his birthday today, August 9th, 1921. So thank you, Pops. And we'll talk about this later. In the meantime, our show this week has three segments. We're going to close with some good news from Horizons, a wonderful program in our community. At the middle, we're going to talk about live jazz with Chris from the Old Lime, which has the uh, Side Door Jazz Club, keeping the live uh, jazz scene going on the, on the shoreline area. And right now, next to me to open up today, I'm very happy to have Terry Paquette back in the house. He's the owner-manager of the Stomping Ground, which has been providing live music in the Putnam area now for about 15 years. And it's always great to have people on the show who are helping to keep live music alive. So, Terry, good to have you back. Thank you, John. It's good to be back. You bet. So, uh, we were talking before uh, about some of the plans you had to expand the facility. We, you know, we talk often about your program, and we'll talk about some music coming. Sure. But you're really trying to improve your capability to build out the club, and you've had some yes. success recently. So catch us up. So uh, back in February, we were able to uh, expand our kitchen, um, mostly floor plan right now. That's we have uh, the next phase of equipment is coming, but uh, mm -hmm. the space alone made for a good change. It's allowed us to expand our menu. Um, and most recently, so that was that was the physical expansion. That's but then right. Just recently, about six weeks ago, we hired an executive chef. Her name is uh, Emma Cruz. She's from Salt Lake City, uh, Utah. And she's come in and she's helping us revamp our menu and just generally the way we operate and kind of step things up and, and go to the next level, really. So our food's going to be in, uh, improving and the everything, service, the whole quality is, is going up again. It's a good thing. I want to mention the website, too, because you can keep track of the menu, but mainly the schedule for music all year long. It's easy. Just go to, uh, it's simple, it's the-stomping-ground.com. The, the Stomping Ground with dashes in between. It's got the schedule. We're coming into the last month of summer now, Terry. How has the summer been overall, uh, and what's the last month going to be like? I have a couple of questions, but what's the response been so far this summer? Well, what I've seen this year, and I don't know if, if everybody else has experienced the same thing, the town of Putnam certainly is, is that um, it seems like everybody's going on vacation this year. <laughs> this year, it seems like the first real wear back kind of approach towards family vacations. There's a lot of people out of town. So we've had some quieter nights, uh -huh. um, and we've had some very surprisingly busy days as, as well. So yeah. it's, it's an up and down sort of thing. Music is is has really stepped up now we're not i think the last time we spoke I, I had said that we were seeing a lot of more solo acts or smaller acts that's right we're starting to see bigger groups now or are more kind of rock oriented or or just more upbeat type uh music coming through it's good and i'm starting to hear from new bands new people that i haven't heard from before which is also exciting because that brings new people to our roster oh yeah and steps everything up for us well you know one of the things that people like a lot about your club is the variety of uh, you know, you know, month to month, it's a real rainbow. And I wonder, on you know, on your end as a programmer, where do you get your leads from? What networks are out there that you can tap into where musicians are trying to connect to make enough dots to make a tour? 
Um, I have a couple ways I do things. There's the, the most obvious thing or the easiest thing for me is when people reach out to me. I get a lot of emails um, via yeah. email or, or messenger um, asking about gigs. So folks um, kind of on their own reaching out to you. Yes. Uh, okay. Not only not only folks on their own, but uh, booking agents as well. I, I do have like three or four booking, booking agencies that reach out to me and try to uh-huh. find a home for a band that's on tour, trying to put a hold here and a hold there so that they can come through later on. Uh, on Friday, we have a band called Three Sound coming up from uh, Virginia. Um, they're touring, and they they put us on their on their roster. Um, but then, a lot of times, what I do is I look at lists of bands playing at festivals, and I kind of sure. I go up the list. At the, if I start at the bottom, and I see what every it's kind of funny. I try to see every name of a band that I recognize, mm-hmm. and when I get to a point where okay, that's the last band that's played at the stomping ground at that level whatever that that tier is in the festival i start trying to reach out to the other bands at that same Uh tier and try to see if i can attract them to come and play and it works fairly often i I get new people that way quite a bit you go fishing where the fish are i do indeed i I actually compare booking to fishing quite often because you never know what you're going to catch yeah that's true that's true and that's why there could be real surprises on the way there it's exciting when it happens yeah it's great now, something that's kind of, I don't want to say become extinct, but it's harder to find is label support or support for agents. Do you have any sense now when you talk to agents, when you go from a solo act to a band, there's more costs? There is. Right? It, it's so interesting. So how does that work? Okay. So, so I have, what happens a lot of times is I will speak to either an agent or the band directly, and I'll book the band, the full band, for a Friday or a Saturday night. Yeah. Uh, or sometimes a Saturday or Sunday matinee because we do day shows at one o'clock on Saturdays and Sundays, but quite often, the one of the musicians in that band will say, "Hey, I also do something solo. Would you be interested in, in booking that?" So I'll book them on a Tuesday night when we do a solo act, and I kind of we break things up a little bit. It gives them an opportunity to experiment and play music that maybe they're working on that they haven't really tested out on yeah. the, with the band yet. Yeah, it's nice. It's, it gives a variety. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I know you really support the whole movement. Uh, you know, as much fun as covers are when they're creative, people are really moving into original. And I know bands are starving for venues where audiences want more than covers, right? Bands right. are usually shocked when I say, no, I prefer original music. Because my, my rule for booking is we we have a fairly long show. Shows run either one to four on, an, on a matinee show on Saturday or Sunday, or 8 to 11 on, a, a, on an evening show, with breaks, of course, and whatnot. But I ask the bands to play 50% original music at least. I want, I want to see half the show uh-huh. be original music. And that kind of weeds out the bands that are strictly cover bands or tribute bands. Sometimes people... I, I, I bend those rules, you know. I, I, yeah. I have my favorites, and, okay. you know, I, I jazz is always a lot of standards that happens often. Um, sure. On uh, because Thursday. then it's how you play it, you know. Right, right. right. It, it is. It's, uh, it, that becomes your voice, and not just the material, but how you're, use, how you're performing that material. Right. Um, Thursday night, for example, we have a, a, a ska rocksteady band that's playing. It's the, They're called the All-Stars, and they're featuring R- Ricky Rocksteady. Um, he sounds like... I would say 1969 to 1971 Studio One Jamaican reggae. Nice. It's really cool. So they're going to have a lot of covers in in their material, but they also have a lot of originals as well. So it, it really scratch Perry days. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. it's great stuff Fantastic. too. I mean, when yeah. when Ricky sings, you could close your eyes and hear the scratch of the record, and it's it's real yeah. cool. Right. Uh, now here's another question too. For Terry, it's been about 15 years, right? And he's in Putnam. And that town has done a miracle in 15 years to grow economically, socially, culturally, the 
all the events they've done up there, and you were there at the early stage. And my question is, when you made the early decisions to say, I'm going to take the plunge in a town that hasn't had this renaissance yet. Mm -hmm. It wasn't there. It was quieter. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm going to take a risk. My question is, I still am baffled why Willimantic doesn't have a venue like yours. I, I, I've I mean, even looked into yeah. possibly opening a second location oh, in yeah. Willimantic or stores yeah. or somewhere oh, in this area. Shake my hand because please announce <laughs> that on this show. I, if it if I can ever pull it off, yeah. I, I, it, it's going to be a big deal because yeah. it's starving around it here, starving. and there are so many musicians around here looking yeah. for a place to play. I love Joe Malinowski at Willimantic Records at the Bliss Marketplace. He does a great job. Him. He does a lot of performances. You know, there. in his yeah. store for years, he's brought bands on tour coming through, mm -hmm. and then he adds some locals. So he's a real guardian angel. I watch his roster, and I, I will reach out to musicians yeah. and say, hey, do you want to come he's over awesome. here? Yeah. I'd like to have him book the club here if somebody had one. Mm -hmm. I mean, you guys could book it together. Mm -hmm. You'd have a hell of a club in this town. It's just a matter of cost, of the initial cost of getting it going. That's yeah. the hardest part. That's right. I got, I got very, very lucky with the circumstances at the stomping ground. The timing was just right. Yeah. Um, that's something that you don't always see. You know, usually it can be massively cost costly to open something like that. Yeah. So... And, you know, now that we're looking back on COVID, even though now it's really endemic, it's part of the life now, uh, you went through the fire before and after and you got through it. Do you have a sense now, maybe because of doing this in August, that folks are coming out of the caves more and more often now? So you're seeing people that are ready because folks like you need people to respond. Yes. Yeah. People need to engage. Right? That's true. It's that's right. very, very true. It's real. And um, I am seeing that. It's interesting. Like I said, I think every, a lot of people are on vacation for like the second half of July, sure. and I suspect the first half of August is going to be the same way. Yeah. People are taking their families out there, going places. I'm doing it. I mean, everybody yeah. seems to be doing it. There's a lot less fear and nervousness and concern about, about being closer to other people nowadays, and it, that's all kind of fading away. Um, this is the first summer we don't have the outside patio since COVID. Mm. Uh, that was something the town did for all the local restaurants during yeah. that whole period, and this year it they took that back now so that they can have the parking spaces and whatnot. So we've experienced a little bit of a dip because of that, because there's there are several other restaurants that have outside seating. Um, however, every time it rains, you can't sit outside. And <laughs> every time it's super hot, you, you yeah. don't want to be outside. Yeah, it's um, prone. And then we have, yeah. right, right, yeah. exactly. And then we have the live music that brings people in at night and on, yeah. uh, you know, on the matinee shows and whatnot. Yeah. Um, I think people, I don't know, I think you could have live music. There's always somebody who wants to see live music. There is a contingent of people who don't care about what's on TV. They don't care about the sports. They want to enjoy performances. So I think that's that's the fan base we've tried to appeal to all these years, and it's really built a crowd that always comes out to us. Yeah. Well, over time, like you said last time, the kind of word of mouth you can't buy in ads. That's word it's of true. mouth. It's true. People yep. being there, yeah. yeah there's, there's nothing better than a live performance, and once you've experienced it and you tell your friends, yeah. you engage them and encourage them to come and see it, and right. it's a good thing. So maybe one last question before I let Terry escape here is, if you could apply your decision-making 15 years ago in Putnam mm -hmm. and you apply it to Willamette today, from what you're saying, it mm -hmm. seems like most of those magical ingredients are in place except the space. Yep. So you think there's enough of an audience that would support it. And mm -hmm. so, like, there are so many new restaurants here, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, so you always have to divide the pie with food or you know, having beer, which is important for a venue. Sure. So, you know, if you put it all together, what do you think the sticks would show you if they had a place right now? How would it work out? It would work great. You have, you have colleges. 
you've got areas that are underserved. Uh, like, I mean, there's there's several towns around the Willimantic Stores area that are just, there's nothing else going on right now. Yeah. And um, yeah. the the reason, one of the things, are, the reasons I thought it would work in Putnam, and it's the same as in Willimantic, is there's only food. There's yeah. no performance. There's nothing right. else to do. You can go and eat, but then what do you do? Right. You know, and that was the that was one of the reasonings behind the stop being in Putnam. There's the theater, but the theater has shows every other weekend, and it's a wonderful theater. Don't get it me is. wrong. Oh yeah, it is. But that doesn't take up all the time. You know, what happens if you're out on a Thursday night and you have dinner and it's eight o'clock and what do you do? You know, um, a free show is great, and I think that I, I know it would work well if, if in the, with the right mix of location and the right amount of money. Unfortunately, yeah, it yeah. could happen. Well, we're going to continue that conversation because this town is ready, and we'll figure out uh, if somebody will get the right mix because there's a real potential here. Mm -hmm. And so, Terry, thanks for coming down and for all the good work you, you do and all the time it. to support live music. Thanks for having me. So once again, this is Terry Paquette. The website is the-stomping-ground.com. It's uh, 132 Main in Putnam. I wish you a great Labor Day ahead, and we'll be in touch for the fall. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. Take care. All right. We're going to stay with live music and focus on jazz at Old Lime with the Side Door Jazz Club. So you stay right with us after a short break. We'll be on the phone with Chris Beaudry. Don't go away. Okay. So did you get some shots of us together? Yes. Good. Awesome. Cool. Okay, man. Tell Chris I said hi. I haven't seen him in a little bit. Yes, I will. Awesome. Well, good luck. The story, you know, I'm telling you, once this is here... I'm going to find money because then you've got Putnam, Wellington, Willie, Old Lyme. That's Lime, what I'm saying. And, Chaplin you know, the thing and, for me, and Columbia. The guy in Norwich. I mean, how well do you know the guy? I don't know him at all. Because Strange he, brew. he never responds. He only is focused on tribute bands. That's all they do is cover <sighs> tribute bands. I, that's what the website says. Yeah, it's all they do. And it, part of it is he's a drummer and he plays in some of the bands that perform there. So that's Hi, part of it. Chris? Yeah. Part of it too. So I, I, I hear great why. things about the location, and he moved to that a couple years ago. He moved to this new location, and it's yeah. awesome. People have spoken highly. I just can't communicate. So anyway, we'll talk more about that. Yeah. yeah. All right, Terry. Sure. Thanks for coming down again. Seriously, it was a great. I'll be in touch with you. Be well. Hey man, you take care. Be well. Have a good one. Thanks, guys. Alrighty. Okay. So, how's our break doing now? Good. We have another one, two. Good. Okay, so now, she's, uh, is Chris on the phone here? He's on hold right now. Okay. Through in just a moment. Okay, sure, sure, sure. I'll get my, uh, get my Captain Video helmet on here. Okay. Hello, Chris Beaudry. I'm here, John Murphy. What's up? Oh, I hear those golden tones. My ears are vibrating. I think the headphone levels. We're just going to work that out now with uh, with Too Matthew. Loud for you or? Let's see. Well, Chris, tell me a few words so we can check your level. Hello, this is Chris Beaudry from the Side Door Jazz Club in Holbein, in Holbein, Okay. There's a lot of hum now. Is that in the headphone amp? Coming from the mics. It's the mics? Yeah, let me turn. Sorry, Chris. That's why we're doing this now. We're still running a couple of spots. Cool. Yeah, because if you turn every other mic off, that may help. It helped a little bit, yeah. Yeah, okay. And I can hear you too, Chris, right? You can hear me, yeah. I can hear you. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to also ask about a nice local story. Many years ago, I interviewed Mary DePaula when she was with Steve years ago in Hartford. But I saw mm -hmm. the show with Nat Reeves and Molly Sales coming up. That's going to be a really nice night. 
It's going to be a great night, man. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that one. Yeah. Uh, are there any changes in your uh, in your booking as we look to the maybe September after Labor Day and we go over a couple of recent things? Long term, is, is there anything in the works you want to chat about? Um, definitely the fact that Joey Alexander played our outdoor festival last year. He was so enamored with uh, just how you know cool everything that he decided to book three nights in the club now. So like that's the type of like uh, rapport that we have with the artists, and then once once they see it and experience it, they're they're back. And uh, you know even though he probably commands a budget that's six or seven times you know what we're able to afford, I, I might not go into that, but you know that's the yeah. Kind of amazing what we can get um, by the experience that they have, and they're kind of sold on that. So, well, you know, that touches on something I wanted to ask about because I know it's sensitive, and it's more for curiosity for the public: is the economics of how do you support musicians in the marketplace today? How do you, you know, how do you make it work for you as well as them when they're on a tour? And some cities they may get more than a smaller area. You know, it's tricky. Right. It's tricky. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all balanced. That's what you know. A lot of agents at certain levels will do for artists is they'll just book the tour as a whole, and then you know for routing purposes they may need to take a gig that isn't as big as like festival paying gig, but it routes them on the way to it. You know, so mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, how long? How close are we? Because I am in the middle of a shitstorm over here. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Well, we're about to begin. Thirty seconds. Thirty seconds. So okay, we'll make great. this a little shorter too, if you need, Chris. I'm yeah, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be like two minutes, John. Honestly, yeah. Okay. That's okay. Thanks for staying with it anyway. Yep. 20 seconds. Okay. Short and sweet, Chris. No problem. Thanks, John. Ten seconds. Three, two, one... Okay, we're back live on the home front here on WILI. I'm on the phone right now with uh, Chris Beaudry. He is the manager and programmer at the Side Door Jazz Club based in Old Lyme at the Old Lyme Inn. And every, every couple of months we have Chris here to talk about some of the programming, some of the news happening. It's becoming a great spot in the New England jazz tour from New York up to Boston and beyond. And they're drawing incredible performers right out of the New York area to great success. So Chris is here just to give us a brief schedule update and to share some news. So Chris, thanks again for your good work and for being here today. Let's go right into your programs for the rest of August while we have you on the phone. Yeah, John, uh, thanks. And I want to uh, expand upon that because uh, New York, you know, on their way from New York to Boston, but internationally so as well. Uh, we just uh, got off, I got off the phone with uh, an agent for a fantastic uh, Brazilian mandolin named Hamilton de Holanda. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this guy, but no. he, is, he is big news in Brazil, like huge news. I checked his Spotify. He's got a million plus listeners. I mean, can you imagine for a mandolinist, like what that wow. means? And wow. I, I, it's almost like he's, in my in my opinion, he's almost like the Brazilian Bela Bela Fleck. Uh, you know, may know him on on I sure do. I sure do. That's great. That's a good lead. So, so yeah, we got uh, we just. I mean, guys like that. We were just talking before we went live on air, but like with routing and stuff, it's a it's a prime case of an artist coming through the state doing a tour, and then you know they're piecing it together. They're trying to get you know routed from. York to uh, Boston, to Portsmouth, New Hampshire, maybe even the West Coast, but you know all these musicians know about the side tour now, and so we're drawing massively 
uh, popular talent. Um, and we're just this, this quaint little, uh, very, very intimate jazz club in the old Lime Inn. We see 70 people and, you know, we get two hours almost face-to-face with these world-renowned musicians. I mean, it doesn't get any better, John. Just, I, I just get goosebumps every time I describe the experience. If you haven't experienced it, you got to come see a show. Yeah. Well, I'll certainly testify, because I was there, and the show was wonderful, and it is. If you close the door, the side door, you're in, you're in Manhattan. You're in downtown. It's very intimate yeah. close. You're right there. You could reach out, and the energy is just great. The connection is really sweet, and that's why artists keep coming back to you, and sometimes you get it by word of mouth, because a good venue isn't always there to be had. Mm, yeah, um, and then word of mouth, and then our reputation precedes us with these these bigger name artists. The biggest uphill battle for me at first is, is getting them in the door. Uh, but once they experience the property, and once they experience the club and the vibe that we have, they end up asking their agents, "Hey, what about the side door?" Uh, I was telling you before again, we went on air. Joey Alexander, um, uh, because a child prodigy, and now he's just you know one of the titans of jazz piano. But he's coming back to play the club after experiencing us uh, at our summer festival last year. So I'm just so thrilled. But, John, I, I hate to do this to you. I have to take off. We're producing a show for 8 to the Bar tonight in about a half hour. Okay. Uh, I got to split. But uh, SideDoorJazz.com, you can see the full lineup coming. And, man, I appreciate you and everything you do uh, okay. over there at the radio. Thanks again, man. Okay. We'll be talking again in September. Thanks. Good luck today. All right, take care, John. Okay, Bye-bye. you bet. Yeah, eight to the bar. What a great band! I've seen them many times over the years. That's a fantastic band. If you're in the area on Friday the 11th, there's a great group. Uh, it's called Mike LeBond's Groover Quartet. What the owner of the side door did was make a serious investment, and the owner bought a complete Hammond B3 organ, which is a monster instrument to play. But it's there for them to use, and it's going to be used by a Mike LeBond uh, this Friday and his quartet. Uh, he's a specialist on the piano. It's a great program. So SideDoorJazzClub.com. And we'll have Chris back again in the future. He's been there about two and a half, three years now. And the club is really taken out. And it's nice to have these guys on every once in a while because live music is so important to keep our culture going, to keep the economy going. This is employment. These are venues that have taken a risk to open. And if anybody is watching our show tonight, if you hit Powerball at all, we want to talk about opening a venue here in Willie. Because this town is ready. It just needs a space. So what we're going to do is take a musical break before we focus on Horizons, a wonderful program that's been here since 1979. They just got a wonderful grant to, to grow their facility. Uh, I'm going to talk about that with Chris McNabo in a few minutes. But right now we'll take a short musical uh, break from the great Mose Allison, a tune that's very relevant to the news today. Without me saying what the news is about, the song says it all. Everybody's crying mercy. Or tennis, whatever you need. Okay, we're back live on the home front today. You might be enjoying us live here at AM 1400 WILI. We're also on FM at 95.3. As you can see, also our programs are videotaped for the WILI YouTube channel. All the 5 o'clock shows are being recorded that way so you can access them 24-7 because we're trying to make all the information from our guests available to you all the time. There's so many good stories out there, and we're happy to share them here on my show on Wednesdays between 5 and 6. So our last focus today is on Horizons. 
I'm very happy to have had Chris Magnabo on the program here many times over the years, but our focus today is on the Horizons community. They recently won a fantastic grant to help develop their property and their support services. So welcome back to the studio, Chris, and congratulations on that award grant. Well, thank you very much, John. It's great to be here. Sure. So um, we applied last year for mm -hmm. a congressionally directed spending grant through Senator Chris, Chris Murphy's office. And the process of that is there's a, there's a long vetting process of all the applicants. And after the applicants have gone through that, there is um, another waiting period. If you have been selected, there's another waiting period. So we're not quite there at the finish line, but we hope that we will be successful in, in getting that grant. It's just a matter of the um, uh, folks in Washington giving it the final okay. It's been approved sure. by the Appropriations Committee. Uh, but there's one more hurdle to go. But it's very exciting. It is the Horizons Accessibility and Safer Outdoor Classroom Project. And what that talks about is the continuation of the work that we started in uh, 2016 with a nonprofit grant from the state of Connecticut. And they have a program called the Nonprofit uh, Bond Program that helps nonprofits to do capital improvements that would not be otherwise possible because of the low rates that were paid. Of course. And this bond program has been a lifesaver for m many of us over the years, and we're, we're thrilled again uh, in, in 2016 to get that grant, and we started doing the accessibility projects then, and that included paving, making sidewalks, uh, and doing all kinds of accessible uh, cabin improvements and buildings. Real and it, infrastructure. Yeah, exactly, and it, it's what's enabled us in these uh, these past years to be able to have so many campers that require um, an accessible space to be in uh, and um, most importantly with climate change now an air-conditioned space and we use it year-round yeah. yeah. is air-conditioned and heated heated so that we're able to have folks come on the weekends and in the winter months all year long we are the last man standing I will say to provide year-round respite programs, residential respite programs for people with intellectual disabilities in Connecticut. The others, sadly, have not been able to weather the COVID storm. So we're thrilled to be able to offer this year-round uh, to our folks, and it's only because we've gotten these generous uh, grants. So... Um, well, I want to mention this for a yep. second, because people may not know that's a term that they use with programs. You know, respite care is giving somebody oxygen who's exhausted taking care of a loved one in a situation where they have limited support. So they're really getting a lifeline to help their family maintain itself. And these incremental things are invaluable. It's just everyday life. Exactly right. And right. Uh, the other piece of that is that many of the folks that are getting this kind of respite are folks that live at home. And they are adults themselves. Yep. And they have elderly parents that don't get much of a break. So, you know, it's not like you just call up the neighbor and say, hey, come in and stay with my son or daughter for a while while we go out to dinner or while we go away for the weekend. It's not usually that that uh, basic, that simple. Yeah. So to have this respite opportunity where there's right. engaging activities for the individuals as well as peace of mind for the family members and the fact that we have 
uh, the ability to support people with medical needs is really pretty uh, crucial as well because we have nurses and other medically trained folks that are with us, and that's often the, the stumbling block. Oh, I can't leave him with a neighbor because he might have a seizure or sure. she might need her um, insulin for her diabetes. Some risk factor. Exactly. Yeah. So we, we pride ourselves in being able to support those individuals who have multiple needs and um, have been doing so you know, right along. So by making our campus even more handicap accessible, we've been able to take more of our aging campers. Because having started 44 years ago, you can imagine, we have had some people for the better part of their adult life, and now they're using a wheelchair or a walker and uh, are able to enjoy the camp program, but only if they have access to the buildings. And so uh, prior to that, it was pretty rustic. It was all a gravel surface with really no ability to, to push a wheelchair, not for any length of time anyway. You had sure. to really develop some muscles to be able to do that. And then if you had a rainy spell like we've had this summer, Forget all it. bets are off. So yeah. this has been a real lifeline for us in providing services for all of our folks that have come to rely on us. Now, you know, these are really important institutional supports, but I, but I want you to go back to, you know, uh, Chris just mentioned 44 years when Chris and her sister Kathleen got this thing going, 79. And I wondered, as I go back and learned about it, that was the time when a lot of deinstitutionalization was happening. Mm -hmm. A lot of modeling for warehousing or institutional settings for people. They were kind of being shut down. Mm -hmm. And people didn't always have a place to go. Some did, but a lot fell through, and you know about that. So my question is, what was it like for you to work in that environment when the system was kind of, I don't want to say collapsing, but they were breaking it down? Well, it was exciting, to be honest. Yeah, um, we were in college and had been in college during the period of uh, Public Law 94-142, which was the precursor to IDEA, which is now the law that requires a free and appropriate education for everyone with developmental disabilities alongside their, their peers. And prior to that, there was a lot of segregation, whether it was residential segregation sure. in institutions or even in our classrooms in our public schools. Yeah. You know, often our first classes that we taught were in the basement, and we were lucky to have a space, uh, but it was very inaccessible, and it was not really uh, an integrated part of the school community, and now that's totally changed, and I have to thank um, uh, former Governor Lowell Weicker for really pushing through uh, that um, 94-142, that bill that yeah. required that education, and he really was a pioneer for he the was. ADA yeah. and for supports for people with intellectual disabilities in all settings, and we're really missing uh, his leadership sometimes when we hearken back to those days when he and uh, the Kennedy family really spoke up uh, right. to make that a priority in Washington, and it's been carried forward, uh, and we hope that um, we're able to continue to make progress in those areas because there's still more work to do. But uh, I have to say most of the um, school systems we work with now and the individuals that are coming to us from, from having graduated school have had a very uh, integrated and community-minded relationship with their public school education. So it was scary, but it was interesting because we were kind of pioneering what should this look like. And um, we knew what we didn't want it to look like from having worked in some institutional settings. And so right, we kind of, yeah, we created what we thought would be more fun and more um, exciting for people. And there wasn't really a lot of pushback at that time because there wasn't any 
thing to compare it to. So we were we were very lucky to be able to start the camp program on a very small basis. We started with 45 campers and built up very slowly over the years, mostly with folks that had met us through our teaching career uh-huh. or who had met us through the work that we had done in the institution. And they said, yeah, I'll take a chance on, on those two, and I'll send my son or daughter to that program. And at the same time, we're building a group of staff that really enjoyed the work and said, okay, I don't want to go back to my other retail job after summer camp. I would like to do more of this, which gave us the impetus to be able to start the residential services, supported living, and right. supported employment. And um, that was really how we got it going. Yep. Then you got a self-sustaining community of residents. It's a whole different place. Right. And, yeah, yeah. and I think our community here in Wyndham Willimantic has been very, very um, uh, welcoming and um, helped us to get started. Back in the day, we had no credit. We had no credibility, really. There was nothing to look back on. But folks here in town uh, took a chance on us and uh, let us open accounts in the various stores that we had to buy things from. And right. we paid our bills on time. And they thought, okay, well, we can uh, we can take it one step farther and support them for some of the other endeavors. And they have been some of our long, longest champions in terms of fundraising efforts that we do and, and other things that enable us to grow where the rates and the fees that we charge don't really co- uh, cover all the costs that we have. Yeah. And this this grant is a prime example of that. You know, um, these nonprofit bond dollars, usually it's about $25 million a, a year or uh, every two years that's been approved by the legislature um, that let us do things that the rates that we're paid to do the work do not cover. So we don't have to take anything away from the supports that we give the individuals. So not robbing Peter to pay Paul. No, no, nope, yeah. this is over and above. So yeah. when we get it, it's really great because we haven't gotten a raise in a while for some of the uh, cost of living things that have happened, like purchasing vehicles, for example. So this... Um, these bond dollars are come in handy when we need to purchase vehicles or buy a generator or make improvements that make us more sustainable uh, and weather some of these um, other cost of living expenses that are not covered. And it's been great. And we're just waiting for this year's bond uh, appropriation to actually get on the bond commission so that we can apply for those dollars. They've been approved, but it needs to, the governor's blessing to get on the uh, bond commission and and the uh, avenue for us to actually apply for the for the funds and there was a little bit of a delay during COVID so we're all eager to get these yep. dollars again so that we can continue the work that has been started with with those bond dollars very important and it's the biggest bang the best bang for your buck a nonprofit has to put a little bit of their own money into the uh, project as well so it's not a hundred percent. Right. Uh, from the state. Some investment there. There is an investment. It makes and a cycle. It does. And go. so uh, bond dollars are meant to be um, uh, amortized over a long period of time, and things like um, improvements on new roofs on buildings, um, new buildings, um, these generators and vehicles and things of that nature are a perfect use for the bond dollars. So I just want to mention, if you're listening to us on the radio and not watching us on YouTube, we're speaking with Chris McNabo today from Horizons. The website is horizonsct.org, and it has all the information about the programs and services that Chris has been talking about because it really is interesting because it's person-centered. And my question to you while we have a few minutes left is, for example, for many years, I've been using their wonderful landscaping service for like, uh, like cutting lawns and small brushwork. 
I do a lot of gardening on my own, but these guys do a great job on the lawn. I've been using them for years, and that's employment. So my question is, when you say person-centered, what makes it beautiful is, depending on the person, their skills will help you figure out what they can do. Absolutely. And, and they make their own money. Yes, and they make minimum wage. So yep. it's, it's a livable uh, wage. Yep. And the it's folks a starting that, point. Yeah, the folks that are on the landscaping team love to do that kind of work. They basically jump out of the truck and start, you know, with their whatever they're assigned task. Yeah, it they is are. it is like a little they're bit of organized. a SWAT team. Yeah. And they are very good at it and take a lot of pride in what they do. So if you do need some uh, lawn services or fall cleanup or leaves, uh, that kind of thing. Absolutely. There that's the people to call and you just reach out to us at Horizons and Brian Hoshai will get back to you and come out and look at the job that you have and he would love to have the team go out there. We're fortunate to have quite a, a strong customer base right now. Yeah. And but we can always use a few more so sure, sure the other thing john i wanted to mention is yes. we are um in the throes of trying to hire some more folks to work with us oh, and we really need to get folks that are interested in either part-time or full-time employment i think uh you just played our ad not too long ago in this cycle um we're looking for folks that really want a career that want to work with folks with intellectual disabilities and where they can really make a difference yeah. and uh, we have a number of uh, positions that are day positions in our supported employment or options programs and other positions that have afternoon and weekend and evening hours in the supported living uh, division so um, if anyone's interested we, we'd love to talk with you about that we we give you um, all the information that you'd need. As the ad says, you bring the heart and we'll give you the training. And that's something we, we believe in strongly. We can we can train anybody to be successful if you come with the right attitude. And it's almost time to start our weekends in the country program in September. Nice. So if you're interested, you're a school student maybe, and you're interested in some overnight weekend hours with our campers as they come back to weekends in the country, we'd love to talk to you about that. Now, one thing, too, we're doing this show kind of in the early part of August, but school's coming up soon. Yes. Could you talk about the big linkages you have with the school system and connecting, depending on the age of the person, how they get services through schools? Yes, that's yeah. our um, educational support services, and we have right. two branches of that. The folks that go to uh, the college campus right on Eastern's campus, and they're part of that uh, transition education program. So they're typically um, 18 years old. They've maxed out in their school program and they still want to have um, more of an educational uh, bent to their um, their training. Their, there's the last few years of schooling because as you might know this year the legislature approved students with intellectual disabilities to stay in school and receive services through their 22nd birthday th through that whole year. Not just their birthday but the year they turn 22. So that's a great opportunity for them to gather even more transition skills before they enter the world of work and yeah. they have chances to um, sample a variety of jobs to see what they like, what they're sure. good at, and to build relationships with sometimes area uh, employers that are looking for, for good people. And so we work, uh, this year we'll be working with about seven different school systems and have a number of students that go to the program on campus at Eastern, which is a very integrated experience there. They take classes, they audit classes, they have jobs on campus, and most importantly, they make college friends and really feel a part of that 
that young community there, and yep. uh, they're thrilled to have that, that that experience and to be accepted by other peers. And the other uh, track that we have for folks is uh, based really more on right away starting in with vocational exploration, uh, still following the student's IEP, and looking at different possibilities of uh, places that could be uh, good internships so they maybe can... Maybe more specific tasks, more... Yeah. More technical things, more demanding. Yeah, more and focus. we'll try six or eight weeks with one employer and yeah. then six or eight weeks with another employer. So it's a good thing for the employer. But they get um, the, uh, the the in individual with disabilities plus their, their coach yeah. with them the entire time. So they'll get the job done one way or another, and uh, they are giving the person real-life work experience. Um, and it often has turned out that those employers are the places that want to hire our folks afterwards. And that's a win-win for everybody. Oh, it is, because they find people that are ready, that want to try, and giving them the chance is the gift. You see, if it doesn't work, try something else. Right. The and gift is the choice. And they've had the training before they yeah. start. Yeah. So the employer is not paying for the training because that yeah. part is covered by us during that, that um, educational support services piece. Yeah. So that's a, really, um, that's a really good, efficient way to make sure that you're getting somebody that hits the ground running. Yep. Well, I wonder, Chris, since this has been 43 years for you, if you really think the the proportion of our community that can, you know, connect to these needs, has it changed a lot or are people paying more attention than they used to, that people used to get more left out than before? And we're dealing with this systemically for a long time, but now we're still dealing with more openly embracing it, not looking away, but saying the way out is to go in. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. because you've been in classrooms with these folks, you're side by side with them. They're not strangers to you. They're people that you know. They're in your homeschool community. They're not shipped somewhere else to get this kind of training, which right. was very common in the early days or living in an institution, uh, not, not in your community. So they have a lot of friends in town. They have a lot of uh, folks that know them and support them. And just as you said, they're not... Um, unknown people. They are known individuals, and people are wonderful here, embracing the uh, the wide variety of people we, we support um, in in our community at public events, at uh, public places, uh, all over, all over our community. We have a really great acceptance of folks with um, intellectual disabilities, and it's a great town to be a part of because of that, and I'm very proud to be part of this town for as many years as I have been. You bet. Yeah. Well, before I let Chris go on this camp, I have one quick question. How is Carrie, and is there any gallery news coming into the fall? You're smiling immediately. Yes. So how's life? Life is coming back a little bit more at Carrie Gallery. She right. had a wonderful experience this past March. We took her to the Outsider Art Fair in New York City, which is people from all over the world oh, with wow. um, that are not classically trained artists come and have an opportunity to show their work. And she was invited by, uh, by her uh, curator from years back to come and share a booth and we were able to go there. Carrie also came and joined us for a couple of days, and it's just wonderful. She sold 15 pieces of work and uh, was thrilled to be there in her own way because it was like a gallery of 63 other 
uh, artist's work that she got to look at, and it's it was really great. So that's transferred back here on uh, 861 Main Street to us being able to get more things going for Carrie. She's great. in another show right now up in uh, Provincetown, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. and um, she has uh, she ke- continues to paint and paint every single day. She's not at all uh, stopped in any way. Absolutely. But um, we're bringing more artwork into the gallery. Uh, by other people. We have a show right now that is uh, large-scale photography uh, done by one of the MFA students over from UConn. And um, we are planning the Gifted Show, which is our annual uh, show of artful things. Mm -hmm. And it's not just art that hangs on the wall, but we've had this now for nine years. And we're bringing this back again this year uh, to uh, showcase Hopefully a good number. Last year was about 43 or 44 uh, individual uh, artists that came with their wares and um, were able to uh, sell things uh, during October, November through December so that they could get some holiday shopping done. And that helps Carrie to pay the rent for usually three or so months of the year, which is a real important thing for her because no artist, no matter how many uh, paintings, unless you're really famous, can uh, afford to do everything they want to do without um, without doing some uh, unique things to raise some money. Yeah, it's a beautiful example of making that circuit. And small can be beautiful if it's all scaled. Yeah. It's all scaled. And we hope that people really look at Main Street Willimantic as a place that they can do their holiday shopping. There's still so many vibrant places to go. Yeah. And I, my contention is, as has been said for a number of years, you can do your all of your shopping on Main Street if you look. And we want that to be, we want the gallery to be a part of that. And we want to contribute to people having beautiful things in their homes or being able to give beautiful things as gifts that are not necessarily things that hang on your wall. You bet. You bet. Well, we'll have to have you and Andrew Good back for more conversations. The WDNN will come back in the fall. Absolutely. A whole bunch of activities and events, and we'll keep you up to date here every Wednesday on the program. So, Chris, thanks for coming by today and for your good work, and we'll continue our conversations. Thank you very much, John. Okay. Once again, the website is horizonct.org. So that's how we're going to wrap it up for today. We we'll very much appreciate you taking the time to join us here on the radio or on YouTube, and we'll see you next week. If you want to get involved, just send an email, john at humanartsmedia.com, and we'll see you next time.